Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome back to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. I'm so excited you're here. Before we dive into today's episode, just make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do your podcast listening. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, you can reach out to us via email. Our email is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that out of the way, let's dive into my interview with Christopher Hartland. My guest today is an author based in West Yorkshire, England, who loves sci-fi, fantasy, and romance. Despite going on to complete a physics degree, author was always his answer to the childhood question of what do you want to be when you grow up? When he's not writing, you can find him nerding out over musical theater, playing Dungeons and Dragons, or endlessly rewatching Doctor Who. Here to talk about his new book, Against the Stars, it's Christopher Hartland. Christopher, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. To start us off, could you tell the listeners a bit about Against the Stars? Yes, so Against the Stars is a queer young adult speculative romance um, set in a world where there is a company called Glimpse Tech, which offers all over 16s the chance to have a short random vision of their future. Um, And those visions are known as glimpses. The story follows two characters with alternating perspectives. We have Elliot and Seb. Elliot is questioning his sexuality and decides to go and have a glimpse in the hopes that it will clear things up for him. And in his glimpse, he sees himself in an intimate moment with Seb. And they've never really spoken before. So it's very shocking to him, makes him question everything about himself. Seb, meanwhile, um, hates the glimpses because they've been sort of the reason that his family has fallen apart. But fate keeps bringing the two boys together. They keep bumping into each other and a relationship begins to develop. Uh, meanwhile, in the background, there are protests going on against Glimpse Tech because there is a day coming up very soon uh, beyond which no one has ever seen in their glimpse and people are worried about what that might mean. I mean, it, there's nothing you can do other than just go, ugh, because it's such a brilliant <laughs> description and combines so many fascinating ideas. You know, you have that that main plot line of first love, questioning yourself, questioning your identity, uh, while also looking at the flip side of someone who has so much going on in their own life, you know, just their own personal space that they don't Mm -hmm. want any thought of the future. They can hardly focus on the here and now. And then to also have that like, oh, but in the background, is there perhaps something really nasty coming down the pipe (laughs) that we just don't know about? As I mentioned, they're both having, both Elliot and Seb are having very different experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to kind of dive in right with your characters, how you create them. And then of course, since you are a D&D lover, how do you work on their backstory or their lore? Ah, interesting. Okay. So um, I would say that the idea started out with Elliot specifically. Um, Seb came in later. So I, I first had the idea of, 
what if there's this technology? And then I sort of want to make it more interesting. And I realized, well, how would that affect someone who, if that technology made them realize they were queer, mm-hmm. um, what would that do to somebody? Um, and so then Elliot wandered into my mind as a, I, I myself, um, you know, wasn't out at school, uh, wasn't out for a very long time. So I've had a similar ish journey to him. And there's a lot of me in Elliot. I like, I'm a very much an overthinker like he is, very nerdy like he is. And so it started out with him. And then I think Seb sort of came out of the fact that I wanted, I wanted it to be a very opposites attract story. I wanted to have that, that tension. Um, and so Seb is sort of there as the, not that they are complete opposites necessarily, you know, they do bond obviously. Um, but it was sort of a, as a very different sort of person to Elliot in terms of their backstory. Um, I think, like I say with Elliot, it was, it, it sort of built the whole backstory on making them very different. So it became the whole background of, you know, Elliot's lived this very privileged life and is very naive to the world because of that. Um, he doesn't really realize how privileged he is. And then Seb has a very, very, very rough life, um, which only gets worse. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it all sort of came out of that drama of making them two very different people. I like that. I also like to hear that you kind of have that that starting point because I am always curious when authors are creating characters, when they're creating their kind of narrative as a whole, is it just that faint idea of a story or a character kind of trying to claw out to the surface? And then how do you build from there? Yeah, I think it for me is just the... I needed the idea to feel big enough. So, you know, I had that, the technology, I was like, well, what can I do to make this more interesting? Cause that on its own, you know, it's not a su- super unique concept, but then making the narrative, how, how it affects someone realizing they're queer. I was like, oh, this is, I feel like this is more unique now and more interesting. Well, and it really makes a space for kids today who are reading this, who have the opportunity mm-hmm. to go, oh, I have all of these resources, but I can see what it's like for someone else. Now, what do you like most about creating characters? Well, I think I'm a very character-focused person. I, I think <laughs> in all my favorite, um, you know, TV shows, books, anything, I'm yeah. always like looking to have a connection with the character more than anything. I love a good yeah. plot. I love an interesting plot. But if the characters are boring, I'm not going <laughs> to engage with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so I yeah, it, it's the fact that they are like what the story is all about for me. It all comes back to the characters and I think that they're the most important part. And I just find it, you know, it helps you sort of explore aspects of yourself and of things you've never experienced as well. You can do a bit of that self-insert. You can have a little bit of the parts of you that are fed into Elliot, but also then explore the world in a way that you didn't experience it or kind of like how is today working now similarly i have to ask a bit about world building because you do have that sci-fi element you do have kind of like our world but parallel or a little bit to the left same kind of question what do you love most about creating that setting and that universe for your story to live in um yeah so i i mean i've always been a huge sci-fi fan um and i love a good like big concept um and so it's sort of but I had the idea of, oh, I mean, I always like enjoy things that play with time as well. I enjoy a good time travel story. So just the idea of what if there was a way to see the future that everyone could access, but that you can't fully control. So it's random. Um, it's very short. And also the fact that whatever you see is guaranteed to come true no matter what, and you cannot avoid it. Um, because I've always, that's that's what I enjoy most in time travel stories is when it's, 
you can't change things because I think that adds for extra drama. Um, right. That I I didn't even think of it like that because I'm I'm more of the like uh, can see the future in the magical sense versus the like sci-fi mm, sense. Yeah. Which usually the plot line there is okay. Well, how do we change this thing that's about to happen compared to yeah. this, which is that kind of nope. This this is it. Cut and dry. Yeah. And I mean, I did. I do put moments in the book where when Elliot first sees the glimpse, obviously he's very. Mm-hmm because it makes him realize maybe he's not straight that he's going to be sort of in denial for a bit and think well maybe i can change it maybe all of the facts and the proof is wrong <laughs> maybe i can change it there's some things random rumors i've seen online where people are saying that they've changed it um <laughs> and and I, th- I think with the world building as well it was interesting to try and think about what things would be different if this technology was around absolutely and it's such a funny juxtaposition to think of the the queer narrative of no I, when you're first discovering like oh no i i can't be gay that's not that's not possible that's not that's not me and you're like maybe i can change it maybe i can do all this and you're just trying to kind of sit with that and you're seeing the same you know that that lovely parallel of we all go through those moments of just like what is what is happening to me right now now you've taken our world added that sci-fi twist with glimpse tech um, and as you mentioned, anyone over 16, the chance to glimpse a vision of their future, which, as you've said, is immutable. Not only is this introducing Elliot to potential love with Seb, but it also gives that end of days threat we were talking about earlier. When considering your plan for the story, how did this kind of sci-fi element become so necessary? And how did you keep some of the elements uh, separate? You know, if you're trying to write romance how are you also managing writing uh, the big bad or the threat i really really like when you got a big sci-fi concept but that it takes the back the it's in the background and the focus is on the characters and their life while all this chaos is going on around them i've always really enjoyed stories like that um so i wanted to tell this you know end of the world vibe sort of sci-fi disaster thing but as clearly not the focus of the plot. So I, the vast majority of the chapters of the book are from Elliot and Seb's perspectives. And in those, you will get little hints of um, what's going on around them. Like there's there's things about the current political situation. There's moments where they'll see protests um, and hear about what's going on. But then at the, the book is divided into five parts. And at the start of each of those parts is a little um, online post on a website where people can share their glimpses and what they've seen. And so in those posts, you see random people who we never really meet in the narrative and what they've seen in their glimpses. And sometimes that loosely ties into what we see with Elliot and Seb. Sometimes it doesn't, it just adds a little bit extra to the world. And then also at the end of each part, we've got um, a third perspective character who gets like an entire chapter at the end of each part to himself, um, showing this, that there's something much more sinister going on in the background as well. I wanted to shift for a second to form because as you mentioned, you have kind of those um, those post elements. What inspired you to use this format? Because we're seeing a lot with authors now looking for more exciting and engaging things for the page or, you know, to kind of bring mm-hmm. in those pieces of our world for how our world is changing today, uh, like social media posts or newspaper clippings, things like that. Yeah, so it's actually something that, that it's one of the things that changed the most from my first draft to what what we now have as the final product so in the original version um the the third 
mysterious character he he opened the book he was at the start of each part instead and it was sort of a prologue um and those internet posts weren't in there at all um and when i spoke with my editor josh he felt that he he made it very clear that he thinks of agreeing with me that Elliot and Seb are the main storyline and that's what we should always focus on and so he didn't love that we started with someone else and so and I, and I fully agreed with him um that launching in with Elliot makes more sense because then you immediately get attached to them but then I was thinking we needed something to sort of expand out the world and we were discussing this and together came up with this idea of well what if we had these posts on GlimpseNet, which is a concept that was already in the narrative what if we start each part with those because then it's not giving an entire prologue chapter but just a tiny little paragraph and that way we're not taking away from Elliot but we are expanding the world um so yeah it, it wasn't actually there in the beginning and I'm really glad that we ended up adding it because I'm happy with how it turned out it really makes for such a fun way to break up the narrative because mm -hmm. you're like oh and you're you find yourself like as you're reaching the end you're like I'm about to get another one I'm about to get another piece of the puzzle it, it's it's really fun talking about your editing experience what was that like like how long did writing this take you um, as a whole and then how long did you spend on editing and and what did it feel like to edit <laughs> your, mm -hmm. your baby basically yeah <laughs> so it um I started writing the first draft in it was towards the end of 2020 mm -hmm. um after you know the disaster year that we all had um it sort of came out of that as <laughs> as an escape um so I think I think I started maybe December um and then finished I think it was something like five months later I think I had the first draft finished, which was far quicker than I'd ever written anything before um it just sort of I think it was because you know we were still having lockdowns so work wasn't as intense as it would normally have been and so I had a lot more free time than I normally would and I I was really excited about this idea and so it just sort of poured all my energy into it and just finished it really quickly um I'm not normally like that at all <laughs> it will normally take me ages and I'll take huge breaks um I'll go through writing slumps but with that one I, I managed to get right through to the end really quickly and then it was a uh, you know I went through it edited it myself till I was happy with how it was um and then started submitting and I think yeah so it was it was during 2022 yeah so last year early last year is when I then um, heard back from Tiny Ghost Press um and so it was in I don't know around April I think and so since then is when we've been working so it's taken sort of a year with Tiny Ghost to um edit it um which which I know is it can be I know that the like big publishing companies often take like up to up to two years doing this but because Tiny Ghost is so small and and new and they have this small list they're very able to really focus and and so it's taken a year which yeah with Josh I what I really liked is that he he immediately picked up on the things that I that I knew were the weakest part and that I was just sort of like oh no one will notice that and then he's like oh, this bit could use some work and I'm like yeah I know it could <laughs> it's really good that we both you know there was never any part of it that he hated that I loved we've never disagreed on anything we always just sort of he'll say oh well it, we could perhaps make this bit a little a little bit better and then I'm like oh yeah I, I agree actually we uh, we're, it's very collaborative and if I if he does suggest something and I'm like no that doesn't make sense then he will listen and vice versa um it's been a really good um relationship that's great so the overall editing process because 
my thought would always be like, I don't know how I'd react to someone saying, hey, you spent all this time on this. I have notes. Uh, <laughs> how did that feel as it was first happening? It sounds like overall it was very lovely that, you know, you really mm-hmm. didn't have that good back and forth. But did anything come up for you while you were kind of going through the process and and reviewing your own story? I mean, it was it was an interesting experience because this is my first novel. Um, so I've never had, you know, professional editing done before. So it was a new experience for me. It was Josh and also one of the interns worked on it as well. And it was interesting seeing their two differing viewpoints because sometimes they didn't necessarily agree, but I could see like points from both of them. Um, I, I never I never saw any of their feedback and thought, oh, absolutely not. I don't agree with that. You know, it's always been, I, I have always been someone who, I don't like just being told, yeah, it's great. Your your writing is amazing. Because um, I don't find that helpful because no one's writing is perfect. It's just not. And there's always going to be something that you could improve. Even now, I'm sure there's still bits of it that someone will find issue with and think it could improve. And I think there's always room. But um, so I, I really appreciated hearing, you know, the honest feedback. I didn't I didn't struggle with the process. Um, it was sort of, sort of enjoyable just as a, a new thing to experience, really. You love sci-fi, you love romance. Um, We see that incorporated here in Against the Stars. How did you settle on these genres? Was it kind of that comfort space? Were you looking to create your own version of what you love? I've always written stories in the like fantasy sci-fi space. Um, And then more recently started writing more contemporary stuff with no speculative elements at all. But then when I had the idea, like before I was writing Against the Stars, I was writing a contemporary um, that didn't have any speculative elements. But then I had this idea and I and I just sort of thought, no, this is way better. This is good. <laughs> I need to go with this. And I had, a, I, I mentioned it to a friend um, and they said, yeah, abandon the other one straight away. You need to write this. <laughs> and I'm glad I did because, uh, yeah, sci-fi and, and I just, I, I just really enjoy when you've got these like either speculative or magical or sci-fi elements but you're really telling a, a human story at the front of it all. So like my my favorite film of all time is Interstellar, where you've got, you know, you think it's a film about people trying to move to another planet, but really it's about the love between a man and his daughter or films like Arrival, where you think it's about communicating with aliens, but it's actually so much deeper than that. And it's about really the human story. Um, I just always loved stories like that. And so I wanted to tell my own. And um, I think the biggest clear influence for this book was um, Adam Silvera's They Both Die at the End. That for me really made me see like, oh, you can have a speculative element and tell a queer love story and have them work so well together. Um, So that really was a big influence as well. How do you keep yourself organized when writing, especially kind of dealing with those speculative elements, those human elements? I know that some writers just sort of start writing and then take, go wherever it takes them. I cannot do that. <laughs> that doesn't work for me at all. And I think that would have been a disaster with this one because it is, you know, there's so many elements that need. So for me, the way I do it is I have a, I don't start writing the book at all until I have a full chapter by chapter breakdown of what's going to happen. So I like figure out the full plot and try and work out what's happening in each chapter. And then go into writing the book. And that doesn't mean that there isn't room for change. Like if I'm starting to write and then a subplot just sort of comes to me, then I'll add that in. And then I might go back to the plan and weave that into there. So there's always room for change. And I might realize sort of while writing a chapter that the original plan for the chapter wasn't long enough or was Mm -hmm. too short, you know, Um, and then 
then I could change it. But in general, I need that clear structure. Otherwise, I just won't finish the book. Um, I need to see that endpoint because then I know where I'm heading. And with this, this, this book in particular was the first time I'd really properly played with structure. So I've I've always liked to have a plan, but with this one, I made an intentional. I sort of noticed when I because obviously it is divided into parts, and I had a clear idea in my head of what the sort of narrative arc of each part would be which is hinted at in the titles of each part. Um, and while making the plan, I saw, started to realize that I was just happened to be making them about the same length and in terms of chapter numbers, not in terms of word count, but um, when I realized that, so there are, in terms of the numbered Elliot and Seb chapters, there are 11 of those in each part, except for part five where it's an epilogue. And so we get in total, in terms of numbered chapters, we have 44 which is then the reason why the glimpses are 44 seconds long. I thought that was a little fun Easter egg just for myself. <laughs> I mean, that's the joy of being the creator. You can make things for yourself. You can make things for the people in your life that you want to include. I, I love that. Now that I've said that, who in your life has read this book uh, before it's released? Um, so the first person to read it was a friend called Everett, and they actually gave me the title. I am really, really bad at titles. And also they they read it before before I would normally let anyone. I, I usually don't want anyone to read my book before I finished it because I want to make sure that I'm happy with it. But they um, just harassed me <laughs> uh, because they really, really liked the idea and they persuaded me to let them see it while it was still being written. So it was like 11 chapters in and they were already reading it. And actually I found that did help because then I felt a motivation to finish because they were reading it. And um, so they were the first person to read it and gave it its title. Um, a couple of other friends read it as well. Um, that was while I was trying to submit to agents. And then once I had um, Tiny Ghost sign with me at that point is when I then stopped letting friends read it because then I knew we're editing it now and I want you to see the final product because it might be very different. People are now reading it again um, because the arcs have been sent out to um, various reviewers, um, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, so it was uh, a few friends read it before it was um, signed. How does it feel to know that you have arcs out in the wild? It's bizarre. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's weird knowing that people... Because obviously when, when it was people that I knew, it, you know, I know them, it's different. So I could speak to them. I could always be like, oh, how far in are you? What do you think? You can be honest with me. Whereas now it's random people that I will never meet <laughs> um, who are reading it. And um, But so far, the, the response has been really positive. So we, we got a few reviews and they've all been five stars so far, um, which is amazing. Nerve wracking, but exciting as well to know that people are reading it. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I love the cover. It's so striking. I like the motion in the sky. Um, mm -hmm. What was your process like? Did you were you involved at all as the cover was being created? Did you have notes that you submitted? Tell me a little bit about the process. Yeah, so that's another benefit of being with a small publisher is that I I got to have a lot of input on the cover because I know that sometimes with big publishers, um, the, the author can end up being really unhappy with the cover, and I would really hate to have seen the cover and just hated it and not been able to do anything about it. Whereas, so how it worked was. Josh and I sort of discussed our different ideas for what the cover could be. And both of us sort of felt that the the scene that you see on the cover of them in the tent um, is such a pivotal scene for the sort of what the entire book 
you know revolves around and so and it's such a striking image i think that we both agreed this would look really good on the cover um and then he sort of looked for some artists and sent me a few and when i saw samantha lee's instagram page um and the art that she'd done i thought yes this that's the exact vibe that i would love um it just looked perfect so then then he contacted her and and then she sent back some um drafts uh, of various different styles for it and then we discussed which ones we prefer we liked and we sort of agreed that it was sort of two she, she sent four and i liked certain elements of two of them which then got merged to make the final one um and i'm really really happy with the final. when i saw it i was like yes that is perfect and i love that i can tell which character is which even though they're just silhouettes yep it is such a beautiful design and and i i love the same thing too that you really can get a sense of who is who it's striking mm -hmm. when you pick it up the colors are so beautiful like the design overall yeah. and i think when you see the title and you look at that cover like you're picking it up no matter what because whatever you think of just by like that initial representation you go like oh i love a love a love story that's taking place while they're camping and then you flip it over and go like oh now i'm really in like, <laughs> you know and then yeah. once you get into it and you go like oh, this is that scene. It actually ended up um, influencing the book itself because when we got the art back, um, you know, it was as it is with the orange tent. And in the original draft, the tent was actually, I think, blue. Um, and when I, we saw that image, I was like, Josh was like, oh, you don't, you can change it in the text if you want, but no one will really notice. And I was like, no, 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 we're changing it to orange because that looks much better. So I went back and changed it to orange and I'm like, yeah, no, it should always have been orange. This is a perfect color. <laughs> so funny. What a, what a thing to happen. You never know where the inspiration <laughs> yeah. or the edits will come from. <laughs> Do you have a favorite queer title you've read recently or just in general, if you've got a, you know, oh, put me on the spot. <laughs> Um, I recently reread Adam Silvera's History Is All You Left Me, which is my favorite of his. Um, so I've read it twice and both times were equally devastating. Um, uh, the ones I've read recently, Ace of Spades by um, Farida. That that one was amazing. I loved that. Um, I've been I've been trying to read more of Alice Oseman's work after reading Heartstopper as well. So I read Solitaire last year. Um, because I'm, I, I feel like there's a, it's always a big focus on um, American YA, and I feel like British YA, especially the queer ones, need needs to do better. Yeah, um, I feel like we need to expand. <laughs> um, Patrick Ness is my favorite author of all time, so all of his works are always amazing. It says in your bio, you're a big Doctor Who fan. Just I wanted am. to give you a second to talk about Doctor Who. Do you have a who's your favorite Doctor? Uh, what kind of arc do you love the most? All that. Oh, I would love to is, know. This is dangerous. As an autistic person, this is my special interest. I could talk for hours. Um, so I think it's a really, it's a very exciting time to be a Doctor Who fan at the minute because we've got Russell T Davies coming back in charge of the show. And he is just, I think, the god of Doctor Who. I love him so much. Um, I started watching it in 2005 when he relaunched the show after its long hiatus um and so i'm very excited to see what new things he's going to bring to the show um i really love everyone says this but i do really love david tennant um particularly, the right answer in my book um, yeah <laughs> particularly him and um catherine tate so series four the doctor and donna that whole that whole series is my favorite series for the show i think it's just got a perfect arc 
it's devastating it's funny it's all the things that i want from doctor who um which is why later this year for the 60th anniversary with them both coming back is very exciting <laughs> um i also love um david uh, sorry peter capaldi and um jenna coleman's um era together so series nine um when it's 12 and clara and their sort of toxic friendship i love that arc because i just think it's fascinating um so yeah i would say 10 and donna and 12 and clara are my favorite eras of the show but it's it's just such a i love it all <laughs> it is such an interesting show because i i came into it um when it hit netflix for us uh here i think that was like 2012 so that is all the russell t yeah, davies yeah. era of nine and on um and of course i was on tumblr at the time so it, you know <laughs> it was yeah. it was popping off uh, <laughs> but ten and donna there is nothing more i love Catherine tate in everything she does she's amazing well i love to hear anyone who wants to talk about david Tennant and Catherine tate together because you know me too <laughs> just perfect yeah <laughs> Now, when you are thinking about writing, I know this is your first kind of published work, but where mm -hmm. do you pull your inspiration from? Where do you find most often you get that spark? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at ollie.com that's o-l-l-y dot com oh that is a hard question i mean i think i've really for a long time before i was out i was i was writing narratives that weren't queer um they might have had queer side characters because well the vast majority of my friends are queer and so i've always been surrounded by that sort of environment so they're always in there um but i feel like the reason why none of those attempts at a novel got anywhere was because they weren't um what I'm really passionate about so once I came out and then started writing queer narratives that really sort of lodged a whole new um version of my writing and I feel like that's where that's where I'll always stay I don't think I'll ever write uh, a straight main character <laughs> but there are too many of them <laughs> So yeah, I think exploring identity and doing that through the lens of whether it be contemporary or with speculative elements is a big inspiration. Um, and I'm finding that at the minute as well, because um, so last year I received an autism diagnosis. And since that, I've now realized how much of a part of me that is that I never knew about before. Because unlike queerness, you know, like I knew I was queer, I just didn't come out. Whereas with autism, I had no idea. <laughs> I should have known, but I didn't know. Um, but now that I do, and I sort of unpacked all of that, it's it's now also um, influencing my writing. So the thing I'm writing at the minute has an autistic lead. Um, to be honest, looking back at Against the Stars, I feel like there's some autistic vibes in there. Um, and if someone reads it and wants to 
interpret it that way they are welcome to they have my permission <laughs> because if i wrote it then those vibes are going to go in there anyway <laughs> um but yeah so i think the same way as queerness like exploring identity through fiction is a real big inspiration and wanting to provide the the representation that i never had myself absolutely i think that's th those are both great things to be inspired by by wanting to create for the the you that existed before and for the people who are like you today and also it's like a just a way to feel things out i mean get mm -hmm. what get what you need out of it as well now i love to ask this question we've already talked about your process overall in terms of planning but when you're writing set the scene silence music playing is there a specific location do you have snacks you have to have while you're working it's definitely more towards silence. I find that, I mean, I've tried to write with music um, and I think sometimes it works. I think with instrumentals it can, but only if it really fits the energy of the scene. You know, yeah, if you've got really, really intense music, but you're trying to write a really calm scene, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. Um, and with music with lyrics, the problem is that you'll, if it's a song that I really like, and I'm not going to listen to songs that I don't really like, and I'm just going to want to sing along. So then I'm just going to end up typing the words. It's not going to work. Um, so in general, I'll write in in silence um, and just sort of anywhere. I mean, it can vary. It can be at my desk. It can just be sat hunched up in bed um, <laughs> wherever. There's there's no bad place to write. Just need the right conditions otherwise. <laughs> and I'll often, I mean, my my phone notes app is full of not actual writing. I never do that on there, but ideas if i have an idea like in the middle of the night i'll grab it and write it so it's just there's so many notes in there of just abandoned story ideas or of ones that i need to remember and i'm, I'm always worried about losing my phone because i haven't got any of those backed up i'm like there's so many novel ideas on there uh, <laughs> i should probably save them somewhere or like you know instead of using notes app he's like a google doc or something yeah we do live in 2023 there are ways around it <laughs> something that sinks but also my life lives in my notes app on my iphone so i'd be equally as screwed <laughs> i mean it probably does sink to be i i probably just haven't realized Who knows? it might <laughs> dungeons and dragons another love of yours yes how did you get introduced to Dungeons and Dragons? And then I also want your feelings on Critical Role. Ooh, okay. So it's a very recent, well, I say very, not as very anymore, but it's a recent um, interest. So it was during, it's actually because of the same friend who was the first friend to read Against the Stars. And about the same time that they were reading it, um, they, it was during lockdown. <laughs> um, so towards the, in the first major lockdown this friend um told us got messaged a few um of us who all met at a writing retreat the year before um saying oh um clearly this retreat isn't going to happen this year because of covid so it's going to be a real shame to not see everyone um i'm really into dnd shall we try play together and i was like oh yeah sure that sounds fun um and now Three years later, we are still in the same campaign. <laughs> um, it's it's still going. I'm still playing the same character. It's coming to an end soon, probably, which is very um, exciting and sad and stressful all at the same time. Um, so since then, I, I've been in various campaigns. Um, so there's like two that have been going on for on, almost three years now. Three-year campaign. Yeah, long, very long. <laughs> what? What's your character archetype? Give me a breakdown. So there is a 
the of those two campaigns which are also both set in the same universe and we did we did do a crossover session once which was incredible we had a character from one end up going into the other one because they were running at the same time it was amazing um <laughs> and yeah so i've got a half elf druid called Larkin, who has gone from being a naive young boy um who just wants to meet his long lost dad to being an unstoppable um semi-villain with the iron hand of vecna it's it's gone crazy <laughs> um and in the other one it, it's a um Erginassi bard called persephone um and she's just um has a rough time with relationships and she's very you know she's working through trauma <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> i'm still just floored by a three-year campaign three-year campaign i know it's just coming to end <laughs> what a really cool study on character building yeah this is exactly the thing it's i and it's probably influenced like how i think about creating characters as well now we talked a bit about having those arcs out in the world um with the amazing and welcoming response of queer books and the queer community uh supporting authors i also want to think about the opposite how does it feel to write and publish queer books in the current climate? Do you have any feelings, hesitations, worries? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a rough time. <laughs> um, but so I made a post on Instagram recently about um the dedication in Against the Stars, which is um to every queer person who has ever felt like they don't have a future. Um, which when I wrote that, you know, I mean, the world wasn't perfect, but it wasn't quite as horrifying as it is right now and so now I feel like that's become even more necessary that because I feel like against the stars is you know it it goes through a lot of darkness there's a lot of trauma in there it's not a happy book but it does have hope running through it and that's you know the, the key message is that there is always hope um and so I feel you know I it, it will never no matter what happens politically it will never stop me from writing these books because they're important they're necessary and it's it's what I love to write um you know if it becomes that it's these are now a fight so be it you know <laughs> it's so important to have people who are willing to hold that fight who are ready to say like people need this, this there is a reason this exists there's a like we exist so this exists mm -hmm. now to take a happier turn <laughs> What's your favorite musical? Ah, oh, what a good question. <laughs> I read your bio. Um, yes, <laughs> you clearly did. Um, my current favorite, and I, it might be a favorite for a long time, I don't know, is Come From Away. I think it's just such a beautiful story. Um, it's funny, it's sad, it's uh, all the things that I love. Um, and the music is so um, unlike anything else, and yet, I love it all. I can happily, happily listen to all of it um, all the way through and not skip anything, which can be hard to do with some musicals. Yeah, I think, how many times have I seen it? Three or four, something like that. And I went to the final ever West End performance, uh, which was a really amazing experience just to be in that room full of everyone, because everyone there had obviously seen it already. Um, and when when they came out on stage at the beginning, we would just not stop applauding. For us, like a solid five minutes, and it was just an amazing experience to be part of. Um, and hearing all the speeches they gave at the end, 
um and even the the real life captain beverly bass was there she was sat behind me the whole time <laughs> um Stop it was it. wild yeah so so come from away is my top one um i also love waitress which i am i am desperate for them to release the pro shot because they filmed it ages ago and where is it <laughs> i need to see it <laughs> just the music is beautiful and haunting at the same time yeah so you're good. just hearing that sugar butter flower kind yes. of like haunting almost i just mm. i'm looking at my wall of musical um posters <laughs> <laughs> um hamilton is always great um everybody's talking about jamie is a, a really good one a really good british one that needs more attention i think um because i didn't i didn't love the movie i didn't hate the movie but i didn't love the movie and i feel like the stage show needs more love lame is in terms of the classics will always be up there as well can't go wrong with the classics so is that mm -hmm. also fair to say that those soundtracks are all kind of always in rotation of your oh, music yeah. library my, <laughs> <laughs> my the majority of my music listening is um musicals <laughs> then no wonder you have to write in silence <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah you get lost in the story and you can't not sing along it's impossible if it's not if it's not musicals then it'll be Dodie or it'll be Taylor Swift those are my other two loves <laughs> I'm still sort of in my Taylor Swift discovery era there's still a vast amount that I haven't listened to and I only recently properly listened to all of folklore and since listening I have not stopped it's been on loop it's definitely going to be at the top of my Spotify rap this year already like <laughs> it's I'm obsessed. <laughs> Do you think we can hope for a sequel or a return to the world of Elliot and Seb? See, I've been hearing this from a lot of people. A lot of the ARC readers have been saying we would love a sequel and I'm feeling bad because I'm like, oh, I wasn't planning on there being one. But I will say, I, I don't want to say never um, because, you know, I intentionally left a few, not, I don't think they're frustrating dangling threads, but just like drops of like, stuff still going on in the world um we don't fully know everything because the, the focus was always on Elliot and Seb's story um so I think you know if I had a really good idea then I I would happily go back to that world I think Elliot and Seb's story is done um I don't know if I want to touch that because I'm really happy with where it ends and you know I mean I wouldn't rule out doing a prequel either about about I feel like it would have to be about someone else um yes yeah, so I won't say never but at the minute I'm not planning on there being but you never know as we start to wrap up i wanted to first ask is there anything you'd like listeners to take away from against the stars oh that is a good question i guess it sort of has the message of don't spend you know your whole life worrying about the future try and live in the moment which i'm not going to pretend that i'm not guilty of doing the same thing um i'm always thinking of the future i'm thinking you know is this book going to do well will I get to publish more all of that um but I do think it is an important thing to remind yourself that you know you don't know what's going to happen in the future we need to enjoy the now and the love is important in all its forms not necessarily romantic but um that should be what drives us all that is absolutely a beautiful point to take away and something that we all need to do a better job remembering mm -hmm. to <laughs> celebrate the moment that we're in currently and that love is everywhere we just have to be willing to receive it yes exactly i know i've asked you what queer things you're reading right now but is there anything else you're reading or listening to at the moment um so i'm currently reading the atlas what's it called the atlas paradox the atlas paradox so the sequel yeah so i really like the atlas six which i read um last year um so i've just started the sequel i'm literally only a chapter in so <laughs> 
Um, but I've been in quite a reading slump recently. Um, so I'm trying to get out of that now. What am I watching? I am currently re-watching um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is my favourite TV show of all time. Yes, I knew you'd love it. <laughs> it's just, it's a perfect, perfect show. And we just got to the bit where all the queers arrive. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> it's such a good show. Yeah, I've watched it so many times, but um, I need to, it's my, one of my flatmates, one of my flatmates haven't seen it yet. So we're like, well, here we go again then. Let's start from the beginning. So we're re-watching that. Um, I really want to watch The Last of Us. I haven't got into that yet, but I know that the last episode just came out, so I might just binge it all. So I'll be doing that soon. When I say public library, what comes to mind? A safe space to escape and explore and just to, to be yourself and experience stories the way they should be. I'm a, I, my day job is as a school librarian. So library, I'm very passionate about them. Yeah. Now, if you're going out to eat, what meal are you looking for on the menu or are you judging the place by? Oh, this is layered because I, I'm autistic and food is one of my big like difficulties in terms of I need like, I need there to be certain foods on the menu or I simply won't eat anything there. Um, and I'm a very like plain type of person. Um, I enjoy a good like noodly stir fry dish those are always good any sort of chicken and chips combo which is very beige very boring but very autism friendly <laughs> um a good pasta dish all of those like if they have if they have a a nice one of any of them i'm happy um but i'm the type of person that will read the menu online 50 times before i go in so <laughs> where can the listeners find you online so i am on instagram at christopher hartland all one word and I'm also on Twitter at C Heartland Writer. Um, I am more active on Instagram than Twitter. I'm I'm struggling with Twitter. I'm trying to get better at it, but it's I just Instagram is I'm comfortable there. <laughs> so yeah. I don't I don't know what it is about it because it's not like I don't have words to say, but just with an image, it just makes it better. But yeah, so Instagram mainly, but but yeah, but I am I'm I'm getting there with Twitter. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, make sure you check out Against the Stars and you can follow Chris on Instagram and Twitter. At the time that we're recording, the book is not out, but at the time that you are listening to this, the book has been out. So please go check it out and give this book some love. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Everyone have a great rest of your week and as always, happy reading. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.